Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. Neuroscientists have proved that we are wired to be doubtful about things. To doubt is to be human. And there are many things we would do well to doubt. Here are a few. Should be something coming up on the screen, maybe. How are we going, Liz? Bungee jump, bungee cords. We should be very doubtful of bungee cords. I mean, to me, it's just madness wrapped up as fun. But what if the time I jump is the time they forget to connect something? We should be doubtful of bungee cords. <clears throat> we should be doubtful of anything that a politician promises. Oh, too soon, too close. Okay. Isn't it an oxymoron, honest politician? I don't know. We should be doubtful of that email from Nigeria. You know, you've come into inheritance. Send us your bank details and you'll be a bazillionaire. We should be doubtful of that. We should be doubtful of the weather forecast. I mean, how many times have they said, no rain, and you go out and you think, I should have bought my jacket. Rain, or the opposite. We should be doubtful about that. There's one thing we might want to doubt. Watch this video. There you go. Get it. sure it says that. <laughs> we should doubt any child, any child that says, it wasn't me. <laughs> I have some doubts about doubts though. I have some questions. Is it okay to doubt sometimes, especially when it's around our faith? Is it okay? Is there room for a little bit of uncomfortable mystery? Does everything have to be nailed down and tied up and neatly put into a box? Is there a space to switch our brains on and ask a reflective question? Does any doubt destroy my faith? Or could it build my faith? What's the benefit of doubt? It's what I've called my sermon this morning, the benefit of doubt. Uncertainty, doubt. It's saying, I'm not sure. I have some questions about that. Here's what I've observed over the years in myself and in other people. There are times when we equate doubt with a, a lack of faith. That if we say out loud, I'm really uncertain about that, I have my doubts about that. That somehow we are being unfaithful to what God has said. 
We may even see it as sin to doubt. Or blasphemy, old, old-fashioned word, blasphemy. It means to speak against God. If we say our doubts out loud, I'm speaking against God, that's wrong. And when it comes to our doubt and our faith, I wonder if we don't carry around this ingrained message that doubts shouldn't be said out loud. Shh, 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 got my doubts. But if I say it out loud, they'll think I don't have a faith, proper faith. So if I just keep it to myself and don't tell anyone, then I'll be okay and they won't think I'm weird. They won't think I've lost my faith. How many of you have done that? Please don't say it's just me. We hide, we cover it up. I'll tell them when I've sorted my doubts out, then I'll let them know that I had doubts. We put on our best smiley faces. Like the dad in Mark 9 who comes to Jesus with a son who's demon-possessed, And he says to Jesus, if you can do anything to help him, do it. Jesus goes, if anything's possible for those who believe. And out blurts out of this dad's mouth is the words that I think we all can identify with. I believe. Help my unbelief. In this book called The Myth of Certainty, author Daniel Taylor asks these questions. Now, I'm going to really ask you to switch your brains on right now, okay? I'm going to ask you to be really honest, authentic. This is not Heidi whole time, okay? Here's the questions. Are you, even after years of being a Christian, ever struck by the unlikelihood of the whole thing? Okay. Does one minute it seem perfectly natural and unquestionable that God exists and cares for the world and the next moment seem very naive? Do you ever think those close to me would be shocked if they knew some of the doubts I have about my faith? Yep. <clears throat> have you ever felt intellectually embarrassed to admit you were, a Christ- you were a Christian because there's some stuff you can't explain? What about those times when what you expect to happen isn't happening or shouldn't be happening, what shouldn't be happening is happening and your circumstances are in direct conflict with what you believe? Have you ever been there? Someone once said, Christians check their brains at the door of the church every Sunday and most of them don't even bother to pick them up on the way out. (laughs) Do you agree or disagree with that? Some of you are thinking more right now than you have for quite a while. I'm really proud of you. Good job. There's a saying that does the rounds. I heard it, someone said it to me when I was in my teens. Never doubt in the dark what God gave you in the light. Sounds good. Sounds true. But the truth is, I have a hang of a job actually pulling that off. You? Doesn't come from the Bible. It comes from somebody who stopped asking questions. I don't say this to people anymore. Of course I doubt in the in of course I doubt in the dark what God gave me in the light. Of course circumstances force me to my knees to pray, to read the word, and think again about what I have said I believe. Of course. 
There's a story at the end of John's gospel that speaks to this issue of doubt. You might know it. I'm glad the story's in the Bible. Every time I read it, I go, thank you. Thank you, God, that this is here. It's in John 20, 24 to 29, if you want to turn your Bibles or your phones or your devices to it. John 20, 24 to 29. Let me introduce you to Thomas, a relatively unknown disciple, but he's got a bit of a bad press, an unfair rap, a nickname, Doubting Thomas. You use that phrase, you're such a doubting Thomas. Have you ever sat in a class being taught something and a question forms in your mind and about what's being said, but you're too unsure to actually ask it out loud, so you just wait. And then someone else asks the question that you were wanting to ask and you go, phew, they asked what I was going to ask, but I didn't have the courage to do it. Thomas was the guy that asks the questions. If you go back in his story, and we're not going to do it today, you can look in John 11 and John 14, and you can see this pattern that Thomas had, that whenever something came up that he was like, eh, he would ask the question, Jesus, but, but Jesus, I, right? He was one of those guys. It's actually quite courageous, I think, to ask the question, to actually say it out loud. That's why I love the fact this story is in the book of John, because it's real, and it's honest, and it's courageous, and it gives me hope that my doubts, and maybe your doubts, aren't a dead end. But maybe, wait for it, a bridge that leads to a stronger faith. Doubt builds faith. Say it to your neighbor. When I ask you to say it again, you're going to do it with way more conviction. (laughs) So, let's get into the story. Verse 24. It's going to be up on the screen. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, which means twin, was one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So this is set after Jesus' resurrection. The disciples are gathered, and Jesus appears to them. And Thomas isn't there. Thomas, maybe he was up on a hillside somewhere looking up at the stars, grieving, disillusioned, uncertain. But he wasn't there when Jesus appeared the first time. Verse 25 carries on. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. We've seen the Lord. Wait a minute. There's some body language that goes with what Thomas said. Hang on a second. He folds his arms, frowns, tilts his head. Because I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. I need visible, tangible proof. Unless I see those nail marks, unless I can put my finger in his side where that spear went, unless I can see it and touch it, I will not believe. You can feel the raw emotion. Don't read the emotion out of the Bible. This is a real person struggling with real doubt. And it's like he's saying, I believed before he was crucified. I staked my whole claim on him and he died. I saw it. And now this nonsense about some resurrection, I will not believe. And and not in in Greek is what we call emphatic. It means, 
It means no way, never, not on your life. Don't hold your breath. No way, Jose, fat chance. I added some stuff in there that wasn't in the commentaries, but I thought it was good. No way. I am not believing. So let's stop a moment. Let's just remove ourselves from the story a little bit, and let's move into the realm of imagination. Now, this is going to stretch you. If I were Jesus, a frightening thought for some, you know what I would have done? The moment those words came out of Thomas's mouth, I would have appeared. Thomas, it is I, the risen saviour. Surprise, it's me. (laughs) Then I probably would have gone. You nitwit, did you not understand anything that I said to you? I've been telling you over and over again I was going to die and come back. Wake the flip up. That's if I was Jesus. but aren't you glad I'm not? (laughs) See what happens, verse 26. A week later, stop. How long? Seven days, eight days of waiting and finger tapping. And what's happening in those seven days for Thomas? He's hanging out with his friends, the other disciples, But he's wrestling with what they've told him. He's alive. We've seen him. He's like, I can't believe it. What if he he could? Is he? He could be alive. Uh, Maybe that doesn't make sense. I saw him die. I I don't get it. What did he say? He said all these things to me about like he's going to die, and I I can't piece it all together. I can't figure it out. I can identify with Thomas so hard out in this, hey, can you? Because there's always a Thomas, might be a few out here in this crowd, and that's okay. We respect Thomases around here. You've got room to think it through here. There's no shame here. Not once, as we go on in the story, not once will you ever see Jesus shame him Not here, not earlier when he was questioning, not later. But Thomas can't buy it. There are just some people who need time to think it through. Might take your days, might take longer. What Jesus gave gave Thomas was the gift of time. And he will give that gift to you too. But, Jesus didn't leave Thomas drowning in his doubt forever and ever. Seven days later, a week later, can we go back? Oh, it's still there. Oh, good. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Hang on. Through the doors, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be among you. Enough said about the do do do. I mean, that's just supernaturally freaky. And as Jesus comes through the door, I want you to notice he doesn't say, Where's Thomas? Where is that doubting Thomas? Bring him here. He wants to say, I'll show him my hands. 
You bring him here. Doesn't say that. The first words out of his mouth are peace. And it's not shalom, interestingly. This word is irene, which means, it's so beautiful, peace, tranquility, freedom from worry, and it's a metaphor for the peace of mind. Beautiful. Peace. Isn't that gracious of Jesus? Peace of mind be with you all. And then he turns to Thomas. Stop. How do you think Thomas feels right now? <gasps> uh, probably sweating bullets, thinking he's going to get it both barrels. It's like getting called to the principal's office, isn't it? You're sitting outside. <gasps> or going to the dentist, waiting to go in, knowing you're going to get told off for not cleaning your teeth properly. It's like, <laughs> He probably thinks, man, Jesus is going to give it to me. I'm, I'm going to get it. But Jesus doesn't do that. Verse 27. Then he said to Thomas, Jesus says, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. It's like he says, Thomas, just, just come over here, mate. Come over here. Put your finger here. Reach here in my side. Don't be unbelieving any longer, Thomas. Trust me, I've come back from the grave. I'm alive. It's like he just says, if you have to touch, touch. That's going to help you. And I love Thomas's response. Grace always does this to us, doesn't it? It always disarms us. We expect a slap from God. And he graciously just says to us, I'm so glad you've come. I'm so glad you're here. Reach out and touch if it helps you. What Thomas is having right now is a supernatural encounter with the risen Christ. He is face to face with resurrection power. And when you've experienced that, you won't ever be the same. You see, the disciples told him, Jesus is alive. The people told him, Jesus is alive. He says, I can't believe it. But when Jesus, the resurrected Christ, stands in front of him, it changes everything. That encounter changes everything. Those who are doubting in your life, even if it's you, it's not so much the words of others that you need to listen to. It's the encounter with Christ that you need to run to. It changed everything for Thomas. So you may not know this, but tradition tells us that Thomas was the first missionary to reach India. He was so transformed by what we're about to read. He was so transformed that he chooses one of the darkest continents that has not heard of Christ and spends himself there for the rest of his years telling of Christ and dying there for the cause. But none of that is revealed right now. Thomas is at that moment of encounter, of discovery, of his faith being forged through his doubts. I want you to look at this. This is really interesting. Next slide. <clears throat> in between verse 27 and 28, Jesus says, reach out your hand, put it in my side, stop doubting and believe. In between those verses, I want you to notice something. I want you to notice what's missing. 
Thomas doesn't reach out and touch Jesus. His hands, his side, he doesn't. He goes straight to this statement of faith. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. What a stunning response. He doesn't even even have to anymore. It's the encounter with Jesus himself that's enough. He doesn't need that tangible proof that he needed before. It's the encounter with Jesus. It's the face-to-face. It's knowing that Jesus is right in front of him. What a response. And don't miss the emotion. I guarantee you Thomas was buckets of tears. This was not like, my Lord and my God. This was like, my Lord and my God. It's you. You are alive. And that can be the difference for us, can't it? We doubt, we waver, and then we have an encounter with Jesus somewhere, and it settles some things for us. It changes our perspective. It moves us forward. But I'm glad to tell you this story's not over. You, all of you, and me, are mentioned in this next verse. It's true. Not my name, but you're there. Let's look at verse 29. Jesus says to Thomas, Because you, Thomas, have seen me, you, Thomas, have believed. Now here we are, blessed are those who have not seen, but have believed. Blessed are you, Liz. You haven't seen, but you believe. Blessed are you. Blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you. Because you haven't seen Jesus appear in the flesh in front of you, but you believe. Blessed are you. Blessed, which means the fullness of God. Blessed are you. You know, when my students come to me at school and ask me a question, Mrs. T, I've lost my pencil. I don't answer every question for them. I don't solve every problem for them. In fact, I probably use sarcasm more than I should. Because <laughs> they come, Mrs. T, I've lost my pencil. And I say, oh, have you? How devastating for you. Hmm. I wonder what, as an 11 or 12-year-old, you could do to solve this problem for yourself and not bother me with it. Mrs. T, why is the moon in the sky at three o'clock in the afternoon? Which is a question that someone came and asked me one day. And while I could have gone into a large diatribe about the distance from Earth to the moon and blah de blah de blah de blah, I do them no favours by doing that. I rob them of a learning opportunity. (laughs) And so I say, gee, I don't know. How about you go home and find out about that tonight and come back and tell me tomorrow? You can teach me about that. Do you know what? There's a quote going to come up on the screen. It says this. The healthiest places in life are also the hardest. When the bottom drops out, when the pain seems unbearable, when some unbelievable event happens, doubts will arrive unannounced. But those times of doubting are like a school classroom. 
If I answer all my students' questions, they don't have the opportunity to actually learn and discover and stretch and question and be curious. If I give it to them all on a platter, so I spend a lot of my time just asking questions back or being sarcastic in a nice way because they know I do care about them and I will help them at times. At times. But you know, when you work your way through your doubts, when you have an encounter with the risen Christ, a new faith is forged in you, just like it was in Thomas. And it'll come slowly sometimes, but that's good because slow is healthy. It all happens, doesn't embed as much in us. So doubt isn't a dead end. Doubt builds faith. Say it to your neighbor with more conviction this time. Doubt builds faith. If doubting weren't part of a a realistic and reflective life of faith, why would this story even be in the Bible? Why did Jesus wait seven days before he appeared to Thomas to put his mind at rest? Why did he just do it straight away? Why did he leave him for seven days? Surely it would have been better for us as believers now to see a believing Thomas instead of a doubting Thomas. Surely that would help our faith. But what I love about this story being in here is that this is a story where it shows doubt as a faith builder. It's healthy. And if you haven't grasped this yet, doubt has not passed me by in my life. I have doubts just like all of you do at different times for different reasons. There are some things I'm sure of. There are some things I'm certain about. But there are doubts in my life more than probably you will ever know. So I'm no different to you. But I want to paint a different picture for you this morning with doubt. I came across this story about um, Billy Graham that just illustrates this so, so well. There was a time really early in his ministry, late 30s, early 40s, where some of his crusades had been a bit of a flop, to be fair. And he was, he felt things were like really spiritually difficult and he felt things were going pretty poorly. And he began to question whether evangelism should be his focus. Billy Graham (laughs) began to question whether evangelism should be his focus. And at the same time as this, a good friend of his called Charles Templeton, who he'd worked with in Youth for Christ, had begun challenging Billy's thinking. And Charles Templeton had preached with Billy. They'd gone on to study at um, Princeton. He had anyway. But he became to believe that the Bible was flawed. And he looked at the Bible from an academic point of view. Not that Jesus was the answer to life's problems. And he tried to convince Billy that his way of thinking was outdated and the Bible couldn't be trusted. And Billy Graham, at that time, had more questions than answers. He was in Thomas's zone. One day, not long after that, Billy Graham was walking out in the woods and he had his Bible with him and he got to a tree stump And he put it down on the stump and he said this, listen to this raw honesty. Oh God, 
there are many things in this book I do not understand. There are many problems with it for which I have no solution. There are many seeming contradictions. There are some areas in it that do not seem to correlate with modern science. I can't answer some of the philosophical and psychological questions Chuck and others are raising. And here's the encounter. He fell to his knees in front of that stump and the Holy Spirit moved. And he said this, Father, I'm going to accept this as your word by faith. I'm going to allow faith to go beyond my intellectual questions and doubts, and I will believe this to be your inspired word. And Billy wrote in his autobiography later on, and as he stood up, his eye, he was crying. He said he felt the power and the presence of God in a way he hadn't for a long time. And he wrote this, a major bridge had been crossed. Because I want to paint you a different picture about doubt. Doubt is like a bridge. We start over this side in unbelief. I will not believe. That's where Thomas started. And then in those seven days, he stepped up onto the bridge of doubt. And he wrestled, and he thought, and he, like, oh, I don't get it. But here's the danger of this space. This is never meant to be a permanent address. It's meant to be a pit stop. If you put an address on it like 25 eternally skeptic drive, and you stay here, I mean, there are people out there, aren't there, who just eternally—they just want to be skeptical, no matter what you say. They just want to be skeptical. This is not meant to be a permanent address. This is a pit stop. Thomas grappled seven days. I don't know. I don't know. I can't figure it out. I don't know. They've seen him. Uh, how, uh. But you know, the one thing Thomas did real well is he positioned himself for another encounter. He didn't run away, he didn't hide, he didn't go, oh, well, they've seen him and I haven't, so obviously they're in and I'm not, so I'm just going to go, go home. No, he stayed with the disciples for those seven days. He positioned himself to have that encounter with Jesus. And then when he had that encounter, it's like he was standing on the edge of his doubts and he saw Jesus and Jesus said, if you have to touch me, touch me. And he he didn't even have to. He just said, my Lord and my God. And he's through his doubts. By faith. By faith. Doubt builds faith. It is not a dead end. It builds faith. I think we can safely stop calling him Doubting Thomas now, don't you? I think let's let go of that. It's like Rahab the prostitute. You know, come on. She came to faith. She's in Jesus' genealogy. I think we can stop calling her that now. I think we can stop calling Thomas Doubting Thomas because he wasn't Doubting Thomas. At the end of this this interlude with Jesus, he was believing Thomas. 
Come on. Let's stop giving him that bum rap. Whew. So, three really practical things that I want to leave you with if you're having doubts about things in your faith. First thing, be honest about your doubts, please. Rather than deny them, acknowledge them and go, yeah, I'm having doubts about that. I mean, I'd love to see our seats filled with more courageous Christians, courageous to admit the struggles, to confess the doubt in the valley, to confess when truth is given and explain, going to be, oh, I don't quite see it like that. Courageous and candid and here's two words that came to me, adventurous honesty. Ooh, I like that, eh? Adventurous honesty. Be honest about your doubts. Second thing, risk asking the question. <laughs> risk asking the question. Philip Yancey says this. I love this picture. I have to take each one of my beliefs, crack it open, and see if I can swallow it. I have to take each one of my beliefs, crack it open, and see if I can swallow it. Just because I say it, just because any preacher says it, don't just accept it as 100% undoubtable truth. We are humans, and we don't get it right all the time. We try. I came into this morning's sermon, I have to tell you, doubting I could even do this. D don't preach on doubt. It's dumb. Because then you'll just be wrapped with doubts. You know? Oh. But I was like, I took, I was doubt, I was here. I don't know if I can preach the sermon, God, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, but I believe you've called me to do it, so I'm going to go through the other side. Right? Switch your brains on. I'm super happy to have conversations with anyone. I love to have a good theological backwards and forwards, a faith backwards and forwards. Love that stuff. Don't just blindly embrace everything you hear. It's how cults start. Search the scriptures. Pray for God's wisdom and understanding. There's, there's no shame in the question. There's room for that around here. Did I say that before? There's room for that around here? There's room for the honest, adventurous question? Stephen Furtick says this, all the greatest faith is on the other side of your deepest doubt. All the greatest faith is on the other side of your deepest doubt. We're not going to hand you out all the answers here. Sorry. I won't be sarcastic to you, though. But I won't give you the answers often. Because that's not helpful. That's not helping you go through the pulling and the stretching and the resistance that you need to to build your faith. Be like going to the gym and getting your gym trainer to do all the resistance work for you. Eh? <laughs> hey? That's not going to build your faith. Here, let me show you how to lift 20 kgs. Oh, look at my muscles. Look at yours. We, I don't, this is not going to help. I'm not going to do that. Tico won't do that. We won't do that because it doesn't help you. So be honest about your doubts. Risk asking the question. Last thing, position yourself for encounter. Position yourself for encounter so you don't get stuck on the bridge. Because the tendency is, is it not? The tendency is, how are we going for time? Ooh, cool. The tendency is for us to hide. We do this. I'm really doubtful about my faith, so I'll just go over here and I'll just stay here until I've got my doubts 100% nailed down and then I'll reappear full of faith. 
the, how is that authentic and real? How does that help anyone else if you hide away going, I'll just sort it all out myself, and then you reappear, because it just looks like you've got it all together, and nothing, you know, nothing ever happens. It's not real. Position yourself for encounter. Position yourself in this place. Get here on a Sunday, both services. Position yourself for an encounter with Jesus. Read the word, get in an e-group, serve, position yourself for encounter. God can encounter you anywhere. Jesus can show up anywhere. He came through a locked door, for goodness sake. He can encounter you anywhere. Position yourself for that. Because if you're doubting, if you've got doubts, you're not gonna encounter Jesus if you're hiding away. Doubt builds your faith. So, do you have a bridge you need to cross today? I can tell you right now, because I've experienced it. Jesus has the greatest compassion for those who are doubting. He did with Thomas. He has with me. He will with you. There is no shame. If you're in the middle of a sudden, unexpected calamity, come, encounter Christ. If you're uncertain about something and you don't know quite which way to go, come, encounter the risen Christ. If you're feeling weak in an area and you're, you just don't know if you've got what it takes to get through it, come, encounter the risen power of the risen Christ. If you're going, man, the world seems to make more sense to me at the moment than what I'm learning in church, come. I can't answer all your questions, but an encounter with Christ can get you over the bridge so that you don't get stuck up here and you encounter him, whatever your doubt is, and then you go, my Lord and my God, by faith, I'm going to step over the other side. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch.